0: greetings lovely people and welcome to the dread in the shed podcast i am daddy cam of the one love army and i'm not in the shed i'm sitting on my bed but i'm still telling my stories welcome listeners thank you for joining me now where was i it's been a while. It's been a long while. I think it was July when I did the last episode, and we are now in November, November the eighth, if I'm not mistaken. I think I'll just have a little check. November the eighth, so Monday, the eighth of November, 2021, and uh, the last episode was in July, and uh, I suppose the reason why. <laughs> I haven't um, done any podcasts lately is for the same reason why I started doing them in the first place my health now as I mentioned in the trailer way back when you know, I was diagnosed with this prostate cancer back in February 2019 and it's been a long road and uh, I'm telling my stories for posterity Now, my health has been rather up and down and the past few months have been rather eventful, which we will get to at some point. But for now, let me get back to where I was. And if I remember correctly, I was back in 1983, busy being the original new man. And um, there I was, a young man of, well... 23 and by February 1984 I was 24. now I don't write down these uh, podcasts I like to do it from memory and off the top of my head and that's what I'm going to do this time but I have been thinking about it and 1984 was kind of you know in one way I think well what really happened you know and I think well nothing really happened and then I remember yeah lots happened now I will mention I'll skip to October because in my mind the main thing I've been meaning to say is I had my second child or Kate gave birth to our second child my daughter, our daughter Leah now that was fantastic and um, I remember the day Leah was born and um, holding on to her And it was one of those, uh, you know, when, you know, childbirth can be a bit bloody at times. (laughs) And I recall, um, you know, a fair bit of blood on her. They'd stuck a monitor in the top of her head. I wasn't very happy with it. It was to to monitor her her heartbeat, you know, in case she was in any distress in the womb. And I thought, well, sticking this big needle into an unborn baby's head, would be quite distressing. I remember Leah had this bump on her head um, for months afterwards, you know, um, when they actually inserted this monitor, probe needle thing, I didn't know it was actually going into her head. You know, if if I'd have known, you know, I wouldn't have had any of that. And I think it was a practice that they they no longer do. Thank goodness, it's most inhumane and a most uh, terrible way to welcome a new human you know to life anyway I'm rambling but I do recall you know there being some blood on there and I was holding on to her and uh, one of the doctors said it's alright you can put her down now oh my god I could have ripped his head off and uh, <laughs> it's alright thank you um, you know your newborn child is um, and holding your newborn child is a fantastic experience Um, bloody or not and that's the kind of cleanest purest loveliest blood you'll ever encounter anyway I'm rambling I'm going to get on with 1984 but yes in 1984 we welcomed Leah Leah Talitha into the world now then I'll mention a couple of other things 1984 what was I getting up to well I was being the new man and the part, I, you know, one part I really remember is I kind of let myself go a bit. It sounds strange. I was still doing music. Uh, the band Talkover had become a Rebel Talkover. Um, but I was losing my edge. And, um, you know, I wasn't really caring too much about my appearance. If I remember correctly, my brothers were kind of, you know, bringing me around a pair of their trousers they no longer needed or a sweater they no longer needed and I was wearing that and it was fine. And it is very interesting this new man thing because I became very gentle and most unmacho, if it's such a word you know, because I'd be pushing the buggy up and down, going about my business, you know, people would hold the door for me. I mean, oh thank you very much and I became very soft and nice and lovely. Which I think when, you know, you as a as a man, when you have daughters I think in particular, it does bring out that softer, more gentle side. I think perhaps if um you have a son, you kind of he's yeah, just a bit more macho and you you know, you want him to be tough and, you know, there's stere stereotypical you know, type um, uh-huh. things. But uh, being the father of um, a baby girl, Trinity, um, I turned very gentle. But I had let myself go, and I think a lot of women will kind of relate to that. And um, But it didn't really help when it came to going on stage, because on stage I was quite a energetic, fiery type. Um, and I found I, I kind of lost... That edge, which I didn't like, I didn't kind of realize it maybe until the end of the year, but um, I didn't like it and uh, it was just very interesting. So, uh, (laughs) it's that balance of male and uh, female energy, anyway. I'm gonna ramble. What did I do in 1984? Well, in 1984, if I'm not mistaken, I decided to invest in a larger um, amount of cannabis and to sell that to make a bit of extra money um, because for the early part of the year of course I'm I'm this new man so I wasn't working I, I didn't have any real income um, Kate was earning money I may have been receiving benefits but I don't really remember but I decided to sell cannabis and in order to do so I needed a little capital now I mentioned Michelle who used to live with Kate and Kate and myself when um, when I originally met Kate and Michelle had embarked on a relationship with a fellow called Kumas I think he was Iranian and he was an older man he was in his 40s and of course uh, we were early 20s And it was one of those questionable, you know, type relationships you wonder about these older men and uh, younger women. And uh, this is more relevant. We'll get to that later when we um, tell more of my life story. Um, But Kumas had been a millionaire and lost his million and then been a millionaire again and maybe lost his million. And, you know, he'd... um, you know, he had quite a colourful life and he'd he'd um you know he was he was comfortable and he had a fair bit of money. So I I asked Coomus if he'd lend me some money, which he did, and I invested in a small amount of cannabis, it was maybe only about four ounces at the time or something like that, and um and I embarked upon selling cannabis. Now the reason why I did so was I suppose even back in 1981 when I would started work outside uh, work when I when I became a student at the Polytechnic of, Polytechnic of North London, people were forever asking me to get them cannabis so you know by 1981 I'd kind of started smoking regularly and um, and so and I had these dreadlocks you know this this beginning of dreadlocks. People used to ask me if I could um get them any cannabis and it was a regular thing, so I, when I would go and get my own I'd go and get some for them. So by 1984 I decided, you know, I'll invest in a in a lump for myself and um and that's what I did. So um launched myself off as a as a cannabis vendor. Marvelous. Now another thing I did was I did get a little bit of part-time work with a group shall we call it um, called the campaign against the police bill now in 1984 the government was in the process of um, making a law it's called PACE the Police and Criminal Evidence Act it was 1984 and I was in um, I joined this group who were campaigning against it it was the the law by which video evidence could be submitted as um proper evidence in the courts of law it plays a massive part in the uh, criminal cases now what with all the cctv cameras everywhere and surveillance everywhere so um we were against it at the time we saw it as an invasion of um of privacy and there was a fellow called Trevor and there was an office down by Grazing Road, Rosebury Avenue and a woman called Liz and they needed a bit of clerical help and practical help and I'd go in on days when Kate wasn't working and I could earn a little bit of money on the quiet to um, supplement my benefits you know anyway so I I joined this little group and you know Trevor educated me again, you know I learned a lot more about the political and social issues of the time and um and again cannabis comes into it uh, he, um, he, I remember him telling me a story of going right him him going round to a friend's house and the guy's all sitting around and uh and then another one of these housemates came in. And uh, they said to him, I don't know what his name was. I wouldn't remember Tom, Pete, you know, Dick or Harry. And he said, um, have you have you got anything? And so, you know, this fella went up to his room, came back down, plonked a big lump of um, hashish on the table and there you go. And then he disappeared back up to his room. Um, so they cracked on and, you know, rolled their spliffs, their joints and uh, were having a smoke and... And then Trevor was surprised to see um, next time the the door opened, the living room door opening, walks this police officer, well it's the same, you know, Pete, Tom, Dick, Harry, whatever his name was, in his police uniform, and it was him who used to supply that little group with their cannabis. Now then, (laughs) you know, it's just interesting, isn't it? Interesting, well things are sometimes never what they seem now talking about cannabis i'll um i'll tell a little story because during this period of time we had the miners strike now margaret thatcher had um, come into power with the tory party in 1979 and had more or less set about dismantling the trade union movement in this country and uh, at some point um government took on the miners Arthur Scargill and the National Union Union of Miners which they did now this was very kind of um, grave time there were riots there was a lot of police brutality Uh, you can look up the Battle of Orgreave Orgreave the footage from that was quite alarming it was quite a wake-up call for these miners who probably up until that time you know believed in the police and and uh, law and order but they were subjected to some brutality and hardships like i say there is footage you can probably go on youtube which by the way this podcast will be on youtube on firewood tv you know this actual one i'm doing now anyway so These miners um, were picketing the coal mines, Um, you know, the police were um, monitoring the picket lines and fighting with miners to allow um, what they called them scabs and blacklegs, people who were breaking, strike breakers, to get into the mines when they needed to. Um, The country was in disarray, Uh, there may have even been power cuts, I'm not sure, but it it was a very turbulent time anyway these miners used to come down to to London to raise money and you know we were okay we were the campaign against the police but we were also campaigning against uh, lots of things and one thing we did was um, help out the miners so we kind of hold buckets and um, you know Trevor and Liz would give them places to stay when they came to London and this particular group of miners they came from Stoke-on-Trent and um, we used to go for a drink occasionally and you know we'd end up in a pub after doing a bit of fundraising and they'd say to me you know would you like a drink and of course I'd stopped drinking alcohol you know, around about 1981 and uh, I would stopped smoking cigarettes on their own even though I still used some tobacco from the cigarettes in a spliff um, but uh, as part of my kind of growth into Rastafari I, I'd stop the alcohol anyway so I'd say I'd have a pineapple juice or an orange juice and they'd say have a proper drink you know and I'd be no no it's alright I said I, I'll smoke my, my little bit of green my herbs, my cannabis, my ganja and uh, and that's that anyway it kind of went on for a few weeks and, um, and they actually invited us up to Stoke-on-Trent to actually go on a picket line up on one of the mines up there so I said to the fellas I'll tell you what um, I'll have a, I'll come up on the picket line with you and I'll have a drink with you when we do that um, as long as you, you try some of my cannabis I said and um, the cannabis I had at the time was a, a breed called Redbeard Redbeard media very strong, very nice and um, so that was the deal I'd come up on the picket line we would go for a drink, but these guys would um would smoke some um cannabis now, so off we went, and um we uh, we sat down one evening, the first evening there now of course, we didn't go in a pub for a drink because actually these guys didn't have money. What they did have was um scrumpy homemade scrumpy so by this stage of the strike they weren't getting any money there was things like sheep rustling going on so miners were nicking sheep out of fields you know to feed their families they were also brewing their own beer and in this case cider so this particular scrumpy I remember had like the twigs and and all sorts in it um, even looked like it had spiders in it it was crazy but um I went ahead and I had a drink with them. Now then, part of the deal was that they'd, um, they'd, they'd partake of the cannabis with me and uh, it was most of them, well all of them except for one, uh, had never smoked cannabis before. So one of them was very much, uh, oh I've tried it before, it doesn't do anything, da 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 da, you know, so um, I rolled a couple of spliffs I used to roll them quite strong and we passed them around now when it came to this fella he was very confident and he was like yeah it doesn't do anything and uh he's taking some big old tokes on it and um and all good and all good and it goes around spliff goes around goes around and uh maybe about 20 minutes later he said, "I've got to go," and he, and so he got up, and uh, he didn't look too steady on his feet, and uh, he must have grabbed his jacket, and he left the room. Off he went, and we carried on drinking and uh, smoking. Anyway, ten or fifteen minutes later, we're sitting there, and then someone said, "Did anyone hear the door go? You know, when he left." Well, none of us had heard the door go. And so we got up and we opened the living room door and we looked. And there he was, standing by the front door, pouring at it. <laughs> Trying to open the front door. Um, he was uh, a little the worse, but where shall we say? So we opened the front door and we watched him very very gingerly and tentatively make his way up the garden path and uh he got to the gate struggled 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 to open the gate and um he ventured onto the pavement i think we left him he's about to cross the road i mean there was no traffic and um yeah we were um you know Very much amused by that, so um, yeah, it was it was very funny. So that was that. So we were up quite late that night, and um, yeah, he learned his lesson. Um, You can't joke with the with the red beard Sensi. Anyway, so we were up till about mm, I don't know three o'clock in the morning, something like that. And eventually, we you know everyone went to their various beds. We had to be on the picket line at. 5am Yeah I think we were on the picket line at 5am So after like 2 hours sleep We're up and we're on the picket line And um, so I did that and went on the picket line And then I don't know what time it was Maybe by 9 o'clock We decided it's time to have a break And have some breakfast And there was some toast prepared And a cup of tea And I recall toast, tea, and then someone offered me a cigarette. And I hadn't had a cigarette, you know, just on its own for three years. But the way I was feeling, a little bit ragged, bearing in mind I hadn't drunk any alcohol for three years. And then I'd been um, partaking of this scrumpy... um, That was it, I took the cigarette. And that was 1984. And do you know that from that day in 1984 up until the 1st of April this year, 2021 I didn't go without tobacco even after being diagnosed with this cancer two years ago and trying to stop, I couldn't Um, so yeah, so how many years is that? Um, so not 40 years, 37 years 37 years and that's crazy But I have managed to stop uh, And that's because of my health And I should really talk about my health um, Because um, Here we are November 2021 And only last week They changed my prognosis Well I've got a new prognosis And um, they've given me About a year which isn't bad because i i thought i might have um a bit less i was informed that you know the cancer is now um it's actually been growing quite rapidly and it's it's in the lungs and it's spread and and they've noticed lesions on the liver and on the lymph nodes so um even though the cancer metastasized back in Uh, 2020 um, It's kind of It's kind of really progressing So um, hence Why I have to do these podcasts And get them done Because time is of the essence Anyway So there you go That's me, Tobacco, The Miners The Scrumpy, The New Man The Losing Your Edge And one more thing I will talk about Because Leah was born in October 1984, and it was now time for me to go back to work. Um, So Kate had worked quite a few months during the pregnancy. I suppose she would have worked until at least um, the latest, maybe September, you know. And. and I would have been heavily pregnant whilst going to work at Great Ormond Street. But it's now time for me to get back to work and maybe regain my edge. And I did. I went to an agency, I believe, and um, I got myself a job as a park labourer. Now, I mentioned I'd worked in Victoria Park, Hackney, as a park labourer, and I found that I really enjoyed that kind of work. As opposed to being a bank clerk or a civil servant or an accounts cashier in an office. You know, I like the outdoors thing. I like, you know, putting up fences. I like sweeping up. I like, you know, just planting bulbs and doing the kind of things you do when you work in a park. So I got myself another little job, another little number. Queen's Park in Kilburn. And um, there was a little team of us who were agency And there was another team who were permanent staff And there was a manager who I think we nicknamed Hitler He was probably in his late 30s Um, Yeah, we nicknamed him Hitler And I think you can kind of guess what kind of character he was from that And I'll just tell you one little story Because this was now maybe December December 1984 and we'd been installing this underground water dispersal system which had involved digging these trenches trenches about three foot deep um, maybe a bit more they were then lined with like um, shingle and then you've got plastic um, tubes as it were um, that run Along and then you a bit more shingle and then you fill it back in with earth. Now, having dug out these trenches, there was a lot of earth that needed to be moved um, from the park, and the job was to basically fill up your wheelbarrow with this earth and run it back to the yard and pile it all up. Now, these tracks, these trenches were you know, maybe 50 yards long, there's quite a few of them. And so we set to work in groups of two, you know, one wheelbarrow between two. And on this particular afternoon, I was paired with this African brother who really didn't like the cold. Now, this earth, which we dug out to to make the trenches in the first place, was frozen solid. So you'd have to break it up with the spade. Then you're loading it onto the wheelbarrow and then you're wheeling it back to, um, to the yard and piling it up now whilst we're working i enjoy my work and i like working hard and so i would fill my wheelbarrow beyond you know beyond the brim pile it up so it's you know a couple of foot above the actual level of the wheelbarrow and then i would walk very quickly um you know even run to be honest with you a little bit because it's cold so to get a nice um head of steam up and so I was grafting away like that so I'd fill up my barrow we'd both fill it up I'd take it back and then we'd bring it back and then we'd fill it again and this time it would be um, the African brothers um, time to um, wheel it back now I'd noticed that I would fill up my barrows when it was my turn very high and he'd still put another spade full on top and then I'd run it back. But when it came to him, as soon as the barrel was level, he said that's enough, that's enough. And then he'd walk very slowly back and he'd he'd pile it, you know, put it on the rest of the pile. You know, he'd walk but uh, driving me mad. And then so I'd observe this, we're working all, all day together and um and again, filling up my barrel, I fill my barrel, I make it as high as I could possibly do. and he'd stick another one on top, and I take it back, and when I'm coming back with my wheelbarrow, I looked at him, and he's, he's there, he's wearing a parka, he's got the hood up, the furry hood, and he's standing there all frozen, like, you know, like a penguin kind of thing, um, whereas I'm, I'm steaming, you know, I'm I've got, I'm got sweating underneath my, my jacket, and um, I wouldn't have a hood up or anything like that, you know, I might have had a woolly hat on, but, um, But, you know, I'm enjoying I'm not cold and I'm enjoying the elements. Anyway, so we'd we'd finished that day. And the next morning at ten past eight, I was, uh, we were back out to work again. I wasn't working with the African brother this time. I was working with another fella who was also in a band. And we were talking about music and it was ten past eight in the morning. And um, the manager came out came out from the yard he's about 100 yards away and he's walked over to us now the pair of us had maybe put a spade full of earth into our wheelbarrow each and he's come along and he said is that all you've done i was well it's 10 past 8 in the morning you know i was traveling from islington over to kilburn to get in there and at 10 past 8 in the morning um you know, we're you know, we're just having a little chat, we're just we haven't even had a chance to do any work, but he's already starting. Is that all you've done? And uh I might have exchanged a few words with him or we saying, you know, we've we've just got in, blah de blah de blah. But then he started to criticise the work that uh, that I'd done the day before. Um, saying I hadn't done enough and I kind of explained to him that you know I was in fact grafting but I was actually working with someone who um who wasn't (laughs) anyway it became rather heated because that time of the morning honestly you know um you know I can get into an argument in those days I'm 24 years old I still had a little bit of edge I could easily get into an argument so um it became heated voices were raised now I'm looking at him I've got a spade in my hand and he's uh, he's still having a go. And you know when you see something before you do it. Well, what I saw was me swinging this spade and taking his head clean off of his shoulders. I saw it, and I looked, and my I extended my arm out to the right, and I went, and I threw the spade away to my right. I just threw it. Because I didn't really want to take his head off as much as I might have thought I did at the time. I knew it wouldn't be a wise thing. I threw the spade and I walked straight past him back to the yard. That's it. I'm out. They talk to me like that at the time in the morning. And um, Anyway, as I'm walking back, I saw the permanent staff just leaving the yard to go about their day's work. And I'm thinking... He's come over to us at 10 past eight. Is that all we've done? And his permanent staff are now just coming out to work. They haven't done anything. So I thought, right, okay. So I went, got my stuff, changed out my boots, put my jacket on, and you know, my normal. And I've come back. Up. I'm going to have a word with him about this, you know. So I've come back. I said, You're on about, you're on us about what we've done. Your workers have just come out. So. We've got into this argument, and um, and he was saying about how much he could have done, and de blah. blah and anyway, we've got into argument how much he could have done, and I was telling him how much I had done, and somehow we've ended up in a bet. He bet that he could do more work than me, okay? And he'd take my week's wages. He could do, he could work, he could do more than me. I said okay. So now he's got me back to work because remember I was I was about to leave so i went back to the mess and you know got back ready for work i came back and i was going to do the morning and he was going to do the afternoon he was going to show me what he could do this manager so I set about on my own, no one, no one helping me. I've got, you know, this 100 yards, 50 yards or whatever, 75 yards worth of frozen earth to move. And I set about moving it. And I'm filling up my barrow as high as it will go. And I am running with it. I ran with it. I was running with it. I thought, you ain't beating me. You know, and if you are going to beat me, you've got to fill your barrow up that high and you've got to run with it. And I did. I did that all morning, and I smashed my way through this earth and um, piled it high back at the back in the yard. And God knows how many tons of frozen earth I moved, but I moved a lot. And then it was lunchtime. So after lunch, it's his turn, because of course you know the rest of the, the rest of the workers had all witnessed this argument. And uh, he comes over. He said, "Do you really want me to do it?" I said, "Yeah." And he said, "I'll take your money." I said, "I don't mind." and uh he backed out, he was like, "Well, if I'm honest, he um, looking at what you've done this morning, if i was if I was to give it a grade, I'd say that was a one plus bloody, 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 bloody and he um and he he didn't take me up on my offer um I know he couldn't have done that, so I am a grafter, I still have my edge, um but I'll tell you what." that job actually finished in january 1985 because a few weeks after that argument they sacked or he sacked a lot of us so and i decided that i would not work for anyone again that was it i retired 1984 i was selling my weed i wasn't going to work for anyone that was it i was retired i would do things you know not that i wouldn't work but i would not be doing pay as you earn and have anyone call themselves my boss that was the end of it now then that's a little bit of a ramble Um, I'm going to leave it there because that takes me nicely out of 1984 and into 1985 and let's hope that it's not another four months before I get to do another one okay I'm going to leave it at that for now remains for me to say thank you for listening. Thank you for joining me. And One Love Army, I salute you. All of my listeners, I salute you. Thanks for waiting for this episode. There will be more. I shall be in touch. And um, I love you all. Give thanks. Bless up.